southbound, I've been hellbound, riding on the midnight train. Going too fast now, think I'll slow down, standing in the pouring rain. What's going on, guys? Tristan and Tony here with the Zero Duck Thirty Podcast. What is up, y'all? <laughs> uh, today we got on Jared Droz. Um, some of y'all may be familiar with that name through TikTok. Um, I know Jared's got a pretty, pretty decent following over there, and um, he just he. The reason we wanted to have him on is he puts out such a great positive message to a lot of the youth, and um, after all, his YouTube channel is called Next Southern Generation. And um, if you guys follow him, you know what I'm talking about. Talking about, but. Uh, Jared, we're we're excited to have you on, man. Thank you for taking the time out to come on the podcast tonight. Yeah, dude, you're doing some neat stuff, and I can't wait to to dig into some of this tonight. Oh man, I'm excited to do it myself. <laughs> I know you're excited to start talking about some turkey hunting here in a minute. <laughs> oh man, we're we're tore up. We're about to start our turkey tour. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can tell from your uh, YouTube videos. I watched probably three or four of them today, and. Saw you in North Carolina, North Florida, so I know you get around a little bit. <laughs> yeah, we do. We we we're going. I think we're hitting like six or seven states this year. Wow, beautiful. Dang man. Well, so where uh, where are you from, Jared? Uh, Eden, North Carolina is where we're out of. Um, but we got boys on the team from all over. So we got from Virginia to South Carolina. Just we got boys from all over. That's awesome. So yeah, so I guess you're just hitting basically the whole southeast, pretty much, huh? That's right. We we uh, majority of our team we have met through social media, which is really cool to me. For as far as like some of our camera guys, so basically what we do is we switch up on the cameras. So like mm-hmm. I'll film a lot, they'll film a lot, and so we all met on social media through posting hunting videos, and we just made an amazing team through that. That's awesome, man. It's, well, we'll talk a little bit about that team. Yeah. You know, what was the the driving force behind that mission? And 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 before you do that, I don't want to give you a, a a fully loaded question here, but you know, break us down. Who are you on a personal side, professional side, and just kind of help our listeners, uh, you know, a little know a little bit more about you. So basically, we're we're the same people we are on camera as you would if you met us in person. Beautiful. So we um. We try to base all of our people um, kind of off of their personality and stuff like that. Are they good at what they do? Because I have got got so many times with the call company by, you know, people, we can help you make sales if you send us calls, this, that, and the other, and we'll send them calls, and, you know, we don't get any sales from it, so we're giving away free stuff. Mm-hmm. So we really had to be careful on doing stuff like that. Um, but it's these boys we got with us now, so basically I tell them when we have shows, so like we got a show, we got to leave for tomorrow, and um, so we got quite a bit of the team coming there. But they'll go with me to shows, and I'll pay for their food and their housing and everything. And then when we got hunting trips coming up through duck season or turkey season or whatever, they'll I'll send a big message to the group chat, and the first however much room we got, that many that respond first, they get to come on and go hunting with us. Nice man. Um, is, so is that what you're doing full-time, Jared, is just the, the content stuff and the wicked killer calls and all that, or? No, so I'm a commercial fisherman, so I crab and oh, okay. catfish, and, um, I also, we do, my dad's business is the street debris removal, so I help him do that as well. Okay. Nice, man. Very cool. So, so, uh, kind of drop us down you know who is jared you know who are you where are you from i know you're from north carolina you said but 
you know, dig into a little bit about what got you into hunting and outdoors and stuff. All right. So basically, I killed my first deer when I was probably five on my granddad's knee with a muzzleloader. That's beautiful. <laughs> and uh, he he had shot a doe that come out first, and um, I was playing in the bottom of the tree stand on my on my toy trucks. And uh, he said, "Well, then another one come out." He said, you want to shoot your first deer? So I got up there, and he shouldered a gun, and I killed my first deer there. And we've always, I've always run dogs my whole life. So I got 40 head of deer dogs at the house and coon dogs and squirrel dogs. And um, so I've always ran dogs since I was knee high. You know, it's just always been what I love to do. And it just struck from there. And I did through the, the deer hunting and dog hunting. My granddad taught me a lot on that. But as far as waterfowl and turkeys go, I really learned the majority of that on my own. So waterfowl, we, we learned all that on our own. We started making duck calls when I was 12 years old on a lathe, wow. cutting a tree down in the woods and, and turning it on a lathe. And um, that struck our fire for making duck calls. And so once we got going with that, we started giving duck calls out and everything to people, just friends and family, and that struck waterfowl for me. So I started hunting waterfowl a lot harder. And then old Oh, turkey come along in my life. <laughs> and then, and that and that's what stole my heart. So I killed my first bird when I was probably I reckon I was probably shoot, I don't know, probably twelve years old, something somewhere in there, probably about the same time I started making calls. And um um I killed that bird with a guy he, he took me for the first time. I killed the bird within like ten minutes on one of my farms. That struck it. So I had I get two tags in North Carolina. So I'm gonna go do this on my own. I said I can do this. This looks pretty easy to me. So I'm walking down one of my streets by myself and I look and there's five times down there strutting. I said, Oh man, I said, I'm gonna do exactly what he did to kill that other bird. So I, I belly crawl out there and I put my decoy out and I call one time. Next thing I know I got five times sitting in my lap at ten yards. So then I killed him. So that was the first bird I killed by myself. And then that just, that just lit a fire to me. And then I started doing competition calling at a young age. And the turkeys are just, social media has allowed us to go all over the, the country turkey hunting. So basically everywhere we're going, this turkey tour has been people off of social media. Hey, Jared, real quick, man, not to interrupt you. Uh, you're breaking up a little bit. I just want to make sure we get, make sure we're getting it clear. That'll work. All right, sorry guys, we were having a little bit of technical uh, phone stuff, you know, that's that's technology. But anyway, Jared, uh, we were talking about, you know, your turkey tour and stuff and how you're connected to, you know, people through social media and you guys have built like a good, you know, good good group of guys and stuff. And uh, take it from there, man. So basically our turkey tour, we're starting out in uh, North Florida on March the 18th. Nice. So I had a kid get up with me. We went down there and ran dogs. And um, I met this kid, and I didn't think nothing about it. And I said, well, we're going to go back down there and try to turkey hunt. So on our way down there, he had messaged me. And, you know, we're all about the kids. And he had messaged me. He's like, look, we got some turkeys. You want to come and hunt them with me? He said, I've never killed one before. So I drove eight hours to Florida and filmed this kid shoot his first bird. That's awesome. And I didn't even get behind the gun, you know. Majority of the time, I just sit behind the camera because last year we killed we killed 24 birds with eight misses. Mm. Ma'am, is that is that the is that the one? I watched a video today. I think the kid had kind of like curlier hair, and he shot it. It was man. 
I'm pretty sure it was North Florida. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I, you yep. you made a video. That was it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I saw that. That was our first YouTube video we ever made. Wow, <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. I didn't even know that. I didn't look at the date, but that's neat. Well, we were, you know, everybody was like, y'all need to start a YouTube channel. Y'all need to start a YouTube channel. I mean, we were just amping it up on social media. Y'all get ready. We're about to drop this content. It's about to be amazing. And we get down to Florida, and for a whole day, we didn't even hear a gobble or see a turkey. And I was like, this ain't going to be good. So we get settled that morning. It was rough. And I said, man, let's go check out that pasture again. We pull up to the pasture, and there's two birds out there strutting in the pasture. I said, now, this is more up my alley. Because most of <laughs> if I can see him or I can hear if I can see him or I can hear him gobble, he's he's usually he's usually going to get a dirt nap. <laughs> so we got, to, we got to moving on him, and I, I put the decoy out, and I, all of a sudden he just takes off running right to me. And I ain't got to where the, nobody's situated yet. Yeah, so I sit yeah. here behind him. He's jammed up on that fence right there for like 10 minutes just gobbling, looking at me, gobbling, gobbling. And he just turns around and takes off all the way to the back of the pasture to chase some jakes. It's like six, 700 yards. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to jump across this fence with this barbed wire fence with the decoy. And the guy <laughs> behind me says, Jared, he says, Jared, here he comes. I said, there ain't no way this turkey. I said, I can't even steam. And I jumped back down on the, on the side of the fence I was on and I sit there and sure enough, he just straight beelines it all the way back from where he just come from, all the way right back to us again, and the kid smokes him. Dude, yeah, I I remember seeing on the video, it's like the turkey's just like sprinting at you guys the whole time, and uh, I like you could hear you talking to the kid. Like I think you said something like put it like shooting a deer or something. Yeah, I I try to talk him through it. So we so we do a military youth hunt every year for military kids for our youth chapter. Oh, that's great. So we're. My parents, they run a, a non-profit organization, which we got chapters all over the country. Which um, So we, we pay for the hotel, we give them a gun, we give them a guy. We do a deer hunt and a turkey hunt every year. And um, that's coming up the first weekend in April. Nice. So we took I took three kids opening day for our youth hunt. Um, the, I took a brother and a sister. The brother killed one that morning. His little nine-year-old sister had one dead before lunchtime with me, and the other girl missed a double that afternoon. And I spun around and took her the next morning, and she had another. She killed hers. Wow, that's wow. that's awesome, man. That's so cool. Um, we're kind of you know it's funny. We one of the last things I had on here is to talk about turkey stuff, but it came up first, and obviously it's fresh in everybody's mind. But I want to um, pick your brain on you know me and my dad. We've never really. I've killed one with my bow in Missouri deer hunting one time, and like he did the same thing. I think, and we just we never really have like we just never grew up in a family turkey hunt and don't really know it and stuff. And we're kind of you know learning cutting our teeth here in North Georgia. And um, I was just wondering what are some like good tips for us and listeners and stuff for you know a newbie turkey hunter. So body language is everything. It's like reading a deer. So you got to be able to read that bird in a field or whatever he is. If he's with hands, if if he's not the dominant bird in the field, if he's getting pushed off, or if he's aggressive, if he's more laid back. So basically, there's the play field's wide open on how you can kill a bird. We've killed him with decoys, no decoys, no calling. We've killed them every way in the book, but 100% on what separates turkey hunters is being able to read an animal's body language. Mm-hmm. No one, you know, as far as, so, for example, I took a kid the last week of the season, and uh, he had missed one that morning with me, and he was all down. He was upset. He was upset. He's like, are we done? Are we done? I said, no, just just be calm. I said, we're going to get one. 
and I pull up to this field, and when I step out... As waterfowlers, we experience all kinds of extreme weather conditions. Stay bone dry and warm with Frog Togs hunting gear. You can check them out at frogtogs.com or at Frog Togs Hunt on Instagram. Truck the bird got hammers, I mean like 75 yards from my truck. Wow. Right, on, right in the little <laughs> So I, I, I hide my truck in the woods and I bail out and around and I sneak out there and I stick a hand decoy out and we get the kids set up. And I call one time, and he he cuts me off. He's in the field full strut, oh. and he's working his way. He's working his way across the field to me, and he just locks up and stands straight up, and his head changes color. And I said that ain't good. So I I, I said you keep this bird's attention and keep him in this field while I go back to the truck and get my other decoy. So I spin around and go back to the truck to get the other decoy. And when I grab the other decoy, when I get back to him, he is getting ready to step foot in the woods to go go away from us. And he sees that decoy and his whole demeanor changes. He turns around back in full strut, head turns back bright blue, and he just beelined it right to me. Wow. And the kid, he, that was his first bird, and he smoked him at like hmm. uh, 30 yards. Wow. So what... What's the, I mean, I like, I literally don't even know what it means as far as their head turning colors. Does that mean they're kind of like freaking out and they want to get out of there, I guess, or? So basically if it, if his head is like a red color, like it ain't got no blue in it or whatever, it means that he just, he's uneasy. And if you ever see him start flicking his wings. So if he comes out of strut and he flicks his wings a couple times, if he flicks his wings, that mm-hmm. means he's uneasy. He ain't liking it. He's getting out of there. Huh. So if you watch if you watch his body demeanor and he stands straight up and his head turns a color and he flips his wings a couple times, you better make a move on him. Man, yeah, that's that's. But good. if his that's that, I mean that is that's really a, a main point that we pay attention to is head color as far as birds. And a lot of people don't pay attention to stuff like that. Yeah, that's a great great point, man. That's I mean I've. I spent last last spring, you know, looking at a lot of turkey videos and stuff, and I don't even know, probably watched 10 different videos, and I never never heard that point made, you know? So, so basically, a lot of times around home, our birds don't roost with their hens. Mm-hmm. So, like, their hens are roost, our hens are roost 200 yards, and he'll stay with his hens in that field, so they'll fly up, and it'll be about pitch black dark, and he's still moving to, to the roost he wants to go to. So a lot of times, if you pay attention, you got to know where they want to be middle of the day. So our fields are good first thing in the morning, late in the evening. But in the middle of the day, these birds are going in and hitting these food plots. It's got some shade on them because he can still he can still be full strut in these streaks in the woods and in these food plots, and he still they can still see him from a bigger area mm-hmm. rather than if he was just in the woods. You know, he still wants everybody to be able to see him, but he don't that hot that hot sun on his back. He don't like it. I got gotcha. you. Oh. He'll get in the woods and strut in the middle of the day, and then later in the evening when it cools off a little bit, they'll start working back into the fields. But if you can ever get between him and his hens, I mean, that's that's game over. And nine times out of ten, if I'm watching a flock that I'm trying to make a move on, I never pay attention to the gobbler. I always pay attention to his hens. Mm-hmm. So if you can get if you can get in front of his hens and get them to walk by you, uh, you can hang him up. I got gotcha. you. Um, one thing I just learned the other day, and I'm curious about how, you know, you travel a lot of different places and I know there's some mountains and stuff in North Carolina North Georgia is very hilly and mountainous and stuff. Um, I just learned the other day that I guess a turkey will never come downhill to you, but will come uphill. So we've hunted a few mountain birds and we've killed a few, but I've learned something about them birds. Like 
if you ever called to him and he gobbles right there, a lot of times he won't come straight to you. He wants to walk that bottom around and come back up where that bottom ends, you know. And we faced that a lot when we hunted the mountains in North Carolina this year. Um, mm-hmm. We struck a bird up on the roost, and I was looking at him in the tree strutting. Yeah. And when I watched his hands when they pitched off on the other ridge, and he followed right behind them. And we chased him around for the longest time, and when he finally got with his hands, he quit gobbling. So we had made a move on another bird, and we got him to gobble. He was right on the edge of a food plot, but it was a big, steep drop, and he just he would never break that hill to come. He'd never break that hill to come into that food plot. He was walking that bottom to come back around to us. Ah. So the mountain birds, are they're, they're definitely different. We have not hunted a whole lot in the mountains, you know, because that's we're, we're going more toward the mountains this year. But a lot of our birds, we've hunted on the East Coast. Like, we've killed birds in Texas and Florida and Virginia. I mean, we've killed birds all over, but we've, we've killed a few in the mountains. But we our mountain, we really are learning a lot still on how the mountain birds work 100%. I got gotcha. you. Huh. Well, yeah, that's that's interesting, man. Um, Well, I guess let's kind of, let's get back to switch gears, you know. Let's kind of get into when did you start the whole, you know, TikTok, and I guess it maybe ties into YouTube too, but, um, you know, I started following you because I just saw these positive messages talking about either getting youth involved in hunting or, you know, whether it be, you know, something on your heart about God or whatever it may be, you know, what kind of inspired you to start putting out a good positive message out there? So this is a good topic right here. This one's going to get, this one's going to give y'all a kick. All right. So I got banned like three times on three different accounts. Uh-huh. And I was, you know, I was, I was a hellraiser at like 16 years old. I had a fake ID. I was in every bar chasing college women. I was a bad kid. <laughs> And, uh, and, um, so my best friend passed away in an ATV accident. Well, he got, we were, I was laid up with a girl one night. I was, I mean, I was fired up. He was supposed to be with me that night. He said, I'm going to go right forward. I said, you know what? I'm going to go. I said, I'm going out of town. I said, I'll catch you in the morning. Mm-hmm. Well, I woke up that next morning with like 50 missed phone calls. Uh-huh. And I said, this ain't good. And I answered, I said, well, I said, what's wrong? They said, um, Chase got in a bad ATV accident last night. He, um, he got, he said he ain't doing good. So we just had a deer dog that night. I was hunting with Chase's brother or that, that I was open day of deer season. got slapped by a bear and the bear killed the dog and we had to go in there and get the dog out. Oh man. And, uh, so me and Chase, me and Chase's brother were walking through the woods and I was like, man, I mean, what do you think? What do you think? And, um. The boys that were on the ATV with them, and we've all been friends since diapers, T-ball, and everything. They were just chasing a deer across the a wet uh, field and hit a wet spot, and they just took the wheel and the, the high by side landed on his back and busted him up. Oh man! And um, um, I was like, man, they were all like, I don't know if he's gonna make it, Jared. I don't know if he's gonna make it, but I always stayed positive with it. You know, I was like, he's got it. I said, he's got it. I was like, Chase is strong. I was like, he's got it. Mm-hmm. And um. Me and the boys were going up a creek one morning to go duck hunting. About 5.30, I got the phone call from his brother and was like, I'm sorry, Jared, he just didn't make it. Mm. And I was like, and it, it was awkward silence all morning that morning hunting, you know. Yeah. And we still couldn't wrap our head around why, you know, we, you're not supposed to question the Lord and ask him why, but we wanted to know, like, I just didn't understand, you know. I, don't, I didn't understand why the Lord needed him more than I did. Right. And now look at the bigger picture of what the the Lord has done for us is just crazy. So I was I went we had 
I was a pallbearer, and I read um, I read a, um, a script for him. I didn't have. I wasn't man enough to speak it at his funeral, but the preacher spoke it. And um, we had, when we put him in the ground, you know, I sat there and I, I talked to him, and I was just like, man, I just don't know why. So a couple of weeks went by, and I was still. I just didn't understand. I didn't understand. You know, I was still being. I was drinking my pain away, you know, doing bad stuff, and uh, I went to his grave. Mm -hmm. I said, I'm going to see him. And I was sitting there on his grave talking to him, and just this, the Holy Spirit come upon me, and I didn't know what it was at the time, you know. I I was, I had shied away from the church, you know, Mm -hmm. and the Holy Spirit had come on to me, and I didn't know, I didn't know how to act, you know. Mm -hmm. So I was like, this is it's just something that I needed. I don't know. I said, the Lord had this all planned for me. So I finally, I went back to my home church mm-hmm. and I sat in the back pew and I just listened. I just listened. And, um, the next Sunday, you know, I was like, I need to go to the altar. So I went to the altar and I got saved and I rededicated my life to the Lord, become a member of the church. And then I started talking about it on social media. And so I was like, well, the Lord is calling me to get more kids in the outdoors. I was like, because nowadays they sit behind them, the video games and everything, and they just don't they don't get in the outdoors much. Sure. So yeah. I had all these kids. I had all these kids messaging me, wanting to take them hunting, wanting to take them hunting. And you know, I would love to take all of them hunting. It's just hard to. Mm-hmm. So we did our youth turkey hunt. You know, we started we started praying every time before we went hunting, talking to the Lord, showing the kids when they killed the bird on what the lord how the lord created it you know this is creation just sit back and thank the lord for what he's done for you and um these kids it's just because a lot of times church it pounds it on them like if you go do wrong that you're gonna go to hell and my preacher he was been through the ringer you know he was addicted to drugs and alcohol and he was mm-hmm. when he was doing what i was doing a few years back and um so he can relate to us you know he don't never shun us away he just brings us in and loves us more mm-hmm. and um that's that's more what these kids need rather than them getting fussed at. They just need to be shown the right way and show them that there's other ways to get closer to the Lord and just being a church pew. Yeah, now that's so, that's great, man. So we started we started taking these kids and well, we needed something that could fund a YouTube channel. Yeah. So you know it was hard paying for it out of our pockets. So the boys brought it up to my attention, Jerry. Why don't you? reopened the call company back up and i was like well i said i reckon i can so it used to be mill pond calls Mm -hmm. so we switched over to wiki killer uh wiki killer calls because we always said it's about to get wicked on our youtube channel Uh so we said we want something to do with wicked so we named it wiki killer calls and um we started making calls you know putting them on social media people started loving them you know but we're still, we're just about to the break-even point on this call company. I'm hoping this next show will get us to the break-even point where from now on it could be able to fund, you know, what we do. That's great, man. That is beautiful. And, and I guess, so I've been following you, I guess for probably, it was before last turkey season for sure, was, so probably maybe like a year and a half. How long have you been doing the call thing? Because pretty much since I can remember, it seemed like you were posting at least, you know, something. <laughs> About the calls. So basically, I started making duck calls when I was 12. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I started out with a hammer and a chisel in my bedroom. 
Okay. And I made my first duck call like that. Wow. And then I, I bought my, I got my first lathe and I started turning a few and man, it was so frustrating. You know, it's just, I was blowing acrylic up. I was cracking wood calls and I, it, I got fed up with it. I finally started getting the hang of it. And, um, so this year, like, so basically we ain't been making turkey calls for like for a year and a half. Okay. Yeah. So we started, I bought my first turkey call jig, um, last year. And man, it was a pain. I had to figure out how to make them mouth calls, and it was just a pain in my tail. <laughs> and I got to, I finally, I finally got them figured out. And you guys, each one's pulled on a different tension, and we finally got our tensions figured out. And we started giving them to people for free to try out, and everybody was loving them. So awesome. I made three hundred today. So wow, holy cow! What time did you get up? Twelve oh one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we've been we've been pounding out hard today. We're so we got our youth turkey hunt coming up, mm-hmm. and we got see, we got flooded corn and flooded timber tracks and everything. So one of our one of our uh, ponds is a small pond, probably about an acre and a half. I'm gonna pump it full of water and I'm gonna fill it with catfish for them so they can fish middle of the day when they get done turkey hunting. Oh, that's oh, nice. awesome, man! Heck yeah! So oh. we've been working on that too. That's great, dude. That's that's all amazing stuff. And I guess it's kind of a good segue into just talking more about the YouTube channel and stuff. And, um, you know, you guys, <clears throat> we were talking earlier, you put out, you know, a great positive message and stuff. And I was just watching several of your videos today, you know, like you were talking about earlier, you pray before your hunts and stuff. And um, I, I really enjoyed um, – two of the turkey videos i watched the north carolina turkey video and then the florida video and then i also watched you and your buddies in the oklahoma farm pond for man oh yeah that that was a fun video to watch too man and uh i guess you know kind of just go into more on the youtube what you guys got planned as far as you know videos coming out and stuff and yeah yeah and before you dive into that jared thank you for sharing the personal side of all of that. That's an amazing story and a true tribute to your, your buddy Chase. Yeah, man. Oh man. We try to do everything in honor of him, you know, just cause if it wasn't for him, we see, I feel the Holy spirit right now. If it wasn't for him, I wouldn't, we wouldn't be where we are right now. I'd probably be dead or something. There ain't no telling where we'd be. Yeah. Man. Yeah. That's... It's, it, I can relate. I've got a good friend of mine that, um, you know, if he didn't ask me to go to church, I can't tell you how many lives that that has changed by him just asking me to go to church with him, you know, and it's something sometimes, you know, you know, you go to church and and the pastor says, Hey, just ask people to go to church. And I think that a lot of us just sometimes don't realize how impactful Mm -hmm. that simple question could be to somebody's life, Mm -hmm. you know? So amen to that, man. I'll tell you the, uh, the, the one that got me the most lately, um, so my preacher always told me you got to go back to where it started. If the stuff starts going south, you got to go back to where you met the Lord first. So, and the Holy Spirit, we were at Charleston at a show, and the Holy Spirit come across me in the motel room before I was coming out. And I said, man, Lord, I've been bad all weekend. I said, what could you possibly want with me right now? And um, I got to walking down the hallway, and I got in this elevator with this man. I said, and I always ask somebody when I come up to them how their day's going or how they've been. And I said, sir, well, How's your day going today? And he said, um, you know, I could tell he was uneasy. He said, I just lost my daughter. She was 20 years old, lost her to cancer. 
Oh. And that's how old Chase was. Mm. And I said, um, we got out. And I said, sir, when we get out of this hotel, I said, when we get out of this elevator right here, you mind if we put hands on you and pray for you? Mm. So we got out the elevator right there. And right there in the hallway, we laid hands on that man, and we started praying for him. Man. And um, the, the Lord started moving on us again. And the whole way home, man, sometimes I get sleepy driving home. But, man, I was just wide awake. And the Lord just kept telling me, Jerry, you got to go back to where it started. You got to go back to where it started. And I don't like going to Chase's grave. It just it bothered me, uneasy to me. And um, I went back to his grave, and it was just refreshing. You know, it was all, everything the Lord has done for me just hit me. And just show, it made me open my eyes back up and don't put the blinders on on what our what our mission is with these kids and what we're trying to get through. That's just great stuff, man. That is. Great that testimony. is so cool. Very cool. And I didn't mean to cut you off, Tristan. No, no, man. That's that's great stuff. And the one thing that resonated with me earlier is you're talking about your pastor. You know, he's kind of been through some stuff. And um, this guy that we live up in North Georgia now, but the church that I was the most connected to in my life and really enjoyed, you know, going to, the guy was from uh, South Carolina and uh, grew up, you know, in the outdoors, just being a knucklehead, too. And um I guess he uh, grew up Baptist and stuff and started this church in Jacksonville. His name's Joby Martin. Um, he he runs, you know, 11, Church of 1122 there in Jacksonville. And, um, man, he just, the, just the way he, you can relate with somebody like that. And then, of course, you know, him being connected to the outdoors, being an outdoorsman helped too, obviously. But, well, and, yeah, and you go to the men's bathroom and there's deer ass yeah, in the bathroom. You're like, the yes. Whole, the whole point I'm getting at is, you know, you said something about, showing these kids that you don't have to be in a church pew, you know, necessarily to find, you know, find God. Um, and I just, yeah, that's, that's always kind of been something to me too. Just, you know, whether you're in your deer stand or whatever it might be, you know? Well, and I'll tell you a funny, a quick funny story is, um, my buddy, Dave, I got out of the military and I remember we were sitting around playing poker, me and all my buddies. And I was so excited because I was going to get start deer hunting again, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's all my best friends were there. And I thought, who, I thought in my mind before I went there, I said, I'm going to ask somebody to go with me, you know. And I knew who was going to go. And nobody that I thought would did, mm-hmm. except my buddy Dave. <laughs> all right. So and he's a fellow veteran and stuff, and uh, he's now passed. But that's a, the friend I was talking about uh, that asked me to go to church. And uh, anyway, I got him into deer hunting, and we're out there, and it got down to the the tough times of, of, of deep, dark winter, and it's 12 degrees, and you're wondering what you're doing up there and all this stuff, and he uh, he texts me on the phone. That was back when you had to hit, like, you know, one button a lot, you know, yeah. I mean, and so it took you, like, forever to say, hey, <laughs> you know? and uh, he texts me, and he said, dude. And I'm just gonna say it like it was. He said, "Dude, don't think I'm." <laughs> and I, I nothing against that. I just want to be clear about that. Uh, but that's what he said. And I said, "What?" And he goes, "Have you ever prayed in your tree stand?" <laughs> and I said, "Buddy," I said, <laughs> "I said, when you go deer hunting, I said it'll connect you to God because when it doesn't happen right, you just say you're like, all right, God, listen, I promise that." <laughs> If you just let me see a deer today, <laughs> I shall do whatever. I mean, just, and, and I said, yes, Dave, all deer hunters have prayed in their tree stand. I just want you to know that. <laughs> However you oh, get connected. Man. 
Well, look, this is this is a crazy one here. Our first YouTube video, you know, we were going back to Florida. Mm-hmm. There was a man down there. These kids kept coming by my our room. You know, you know, these little bikes and stuff. I said, what in the world is going on out there? So I get out there. We're, we're, I mean, we're out here in the middle of the parking lot with this Osceola fan out taking pictures, you know. Mm-hmm. And a um, man comes out there talking to me. He's like, the Lord told me to come talk to y'all. I said, I said, this is crazy. I said, man, I said, how I said, how did you know? He said, the Lord told me. I said, well, let me, I gave him the rundown on what we stand for and everything. He said, well, y'all stay true to the Lord. He's got big plans for y'all. And that just drove us more, you know, that the Lord's wow. putting people on our path, on the road. Mm. And, um, you know, it's just powerful that he can, he has that ability to be able to do that. Wow. That is crazy, man. That's, Heck yeah. I think is my uh, uncle, my dad's brother, he's like, it's always, you know, it's hard in the moment to like see what God's in your life. But if you can look back and mm-hmm. see how the dots connect, it's, it is crazy, you know? Yeah. It'll spend you and and you know, it'll, yeah, it'll spin you in circles. Well, it's just, I mean, there is a, a giant, um, um, rabbit hole we can go down, <laughs> but anyway, we'll save that for another time. <laughs> well, so back to the YouTube channel. Yeah, so basically what we got coming out, we got, Five turkeys that we killed in the last season that's getting ready to come out. Nice. Um, if we had a camera rolling on us 24-7, we could definitely post a YouTube video every day. We're always doing something. Mm-hmm. But uh, one of the most memorable ones of the last week was um, the dude's phone alarm went off the whole way the turkey was coming in. Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> so, like, this turkey, I watched him pitch out. He was, he was roosted in, like, five trees in the middle of a cutover, and I watched him pitch out in this field, and I go around there, and I bust a Jake up, and I said, that won't be time. I was like, that won't be time. I said, I'm going to back up, and we're going to play it safe right here. About three minutes went by, and old Tom sticks his head out in the path, and here he comes. But about 7.30, all of a sudden, I hear, dee, dee, dee. I said, oh, this ain't good. <laughs> this man's really here. He's literally rolling around over here in the bushes trying to get his phone to cut off for like three minutes straight with this turkey coming to us. And the turkey would stop, and he'd look around, and I'd cover it up by calling. And he'd come right in there right in her lap, and he literally shot the bird with the phone alarm still going off. Wow. <laughs> That's, you know, it's so crazy to hear that because it's like we do all this stuff as duck hunters and deer hunters and turkey hunters to – you know, put ourselves in the right, you know, right thing we can do, you know, whether it's trying to control your scent or, you know, trying to play the wind or the calling or whatever it may be. And then you have something like that happen. You're like, man, is it all like (laughs) how much of this is BS, you know? (laughs) Yeah. If we wouldn't have had it on video, I don't believe nobody would have believed us. That's crazy, man. That's, that is the cool thing about, um, you know, having a YouTube and, you know, recording this stuff is, you know, like me and my dad have been doing it. This was our third year we've been, you know, putting out duck hunting and we put a couple deer hunting videos and stuff. But, um, you know, it's we figured out the worst case scenario. We're going to have these memories to look back on on video that, you know, just it, in 20 years, it'd be awesome to just sit down and look at that stuff. You know, I mean, our, you know, I don't know how I'd imagine we're probably about the ja- same age, uh, Jared. I'm 26 and. Um, you know, just like the stuff that my dad saw, you know, when he was our age, you know, hunting and stuff, it would be amazing to be able to sit down and watch that stuff, you know? This is going to trip you out, man. I'm not but 20. Well, I knew, I figured you were probably, you know, somewhere between like 20 and 25, just, you know. Yeah, so. 
but it's it's definitely it's definitely been an experience. It's definitely been a roller coaster with the camera rolling. You know, you can go back and you can talk crap to the boys on who missed and who didn't <laughs> miss. And it's always hard to figure out who's going to run the camera when a big flock of ducks is coming in. True that. <laughs> yeah, y'all, because I, I noticed in that four-man video, you started out, you know, in the morning just filming, and it was kind of just like that first light push that, you know, and it's always, you always take that risk of like, you know, if you're setting up on the film, you know, camera first, that you might not pull the trigger that day, but that's just, you know, part of it. <laughs> that's a bad part of it. That was, the, that was, we've been in Oklahoma five years in a row, oh. or we missed COVID year, so... This was the craziest year we ever been out there. That big cold front was coming down from the north, oh, yeah. and we'd shoot these. We we we'd bust them. I mean, we were smashing them. And the next day, we'd go back and look at these ponds, and the cold front had them so jammed up there'd be twice as many birds on the pond the next day as then the day we shot it. Wow, <clears throat> that's crazy, man. Um, you know, as as far as um your duck hunting content, like we. I'm just curious at what, you know, other YouTubers do and stuff. Like we kind of hit this point where <clears throat> we had a good weekend of filming hunts and stuff. We had, we got these guys we work with out in North Florida that, um, we just met, you know, my buddy, that's part of like zero duck 30 and stuff, met him on a river bank and, you know, South Georgia. And, um, his name's Dalton Whitley and runs, um, salty shots photography. And he's came out and filmed a lot of stuff with us over the years. And outside of him, you know, me and my dad do our thing, but he really is like w w way above and beyond what we can do. You know, I do all the editing and stuff, but anyway, he comes out, we film a bunch of good stuff that weekend. My wife got on our first duck hunt and stuff. And, um, we kind of got to this point in about mid January where we're like, shoot, man, we got some good hunts to put out, but we got to wait till next duck season. Cause duck season's falling off in two weeks, you know, like the al YouTube algorithm. I don't know. Do you pay attention to any of that stuff? And I really don't pay attention to the algorithm. I just pay attention to what I do. Yeah. And just post. It so what, what time, what time of the year do I go on YouTube and look up duck hunting? Or what time of the year do I go to YouTube and I look up turkey hunting? Usually it's a month before the season or something like that. Exactly. So basically we held all the turkey hunting videos from the last week to post this month coming up, you know? Yeah, yeah. And that's that's kind of the strategy we're taking with our duck hunting stuff is like pretty much everything after, uh, I, I don't know, I guess after New Year's or so, we're pretty much that we didn't get out. Um, we're waiting until, you know september october of next year you know to post which is kind of you it sucks because you're sitting there like man i want to get these videos out but you just got to pay, pay play it patient <laughs> that's right well when i when i first started a youtube channel man i just had this little old zoom in zoom out camera uh-huh and my, my buddy cole huff um i met him through tiktok he come i'm and he come down turkey hunting with me and uh he had this camera suit up. he's like what are you filming with man i said i film with this thing right here mm -hmm. and uh he was like, really? I said, yeah. I was like, I put it right here in my vest. I'm gone. I was like, I I, I said, all I got to do is hit a button to zoom in, a button to zoom out. He calls it all zoom in, zoom out. <laughs> and uh, that's, what, that's what we started out with was just an old Sony zoom in, zoom out camera. Mm -hmm. And um, that's just, that's how we ended up. I bought a, a Rebel or, or something like that, a Canon, uh -huh. uh, about five or camera. And I started filming with that, and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and buy me a Canon R5. So I went and bought me a Canon R5, and that's what we're filming with now. That's great, man. Yeah, we're kind of 
I I don't know the cameras that great, but I got we got the my parents had bought this camera back when I was playing football and stuff like in high school and just for stuff like that. And so it's probably 10, 12 years old now, but it's a Canon 60 D and I think it's a little bit like better than the rebel, but like, it's not near as good as the R five. Cause it's still a, um, what do they call that? A, uh, HDLR. No. Yeah. But it's uh it's not a digital camera. It's you know, it uses the shoot. I can't remember the lenses and all that, you know, stuff like that. And it's uh, not in low light. It's really, you can't really film anything in low light. So we're at some point, we kind of want to, you know, get towards that direction too. But outside of that, it's just GoPros and iPhones. (laughs) So basically with that low light, you just want to get one. uh, You don't really need a lens that zooms in, zooms out. You just need a wide range lens Uh and a camera that you can control the ISO on. Yeah. So your ISO is what controls that light on it. But speaking of high school football, man, my senior year of football, I tore all four ligaments in my knee. Oh, man. Oh, my gosh. And, uh, and I'm talking about this was uh, at the end of March, like middle of March. It was co- it was like COVID and everything. I tore my leg all up. I, I, I turkey hunted all year on crutches. <laughs> we killed i killed we killed 18 birds that year and i was on crutches oh my gosh to so talk about a determined hunter you're like i had to get through turkey season dude why didn't you put a tiktok out with that or did you <laughs> <laughs> yeah that might well, be man, my, the good one man <laughs> well look i didn't i didn't play football through like my my i didn't play football still my senior year because i didn't want to do summer workouts i was always commercial fishing yeah and um covid hit and you couldn't and you couldn't they didn't, you couldn't have summer workouts yeah so i'm in the i'm in the weight room and my coach and the football coach me and him are good friends and he was like jerry why don't you just go play football i said man i couldn't tell you a position on the field <laughs> and um i was he was like i'll teach you i'll teach you I said, all right i'll play so i got to playing and man they put me on kickoff right out the gate i was gonna kick off receiver and corner and kick off return uh-huh. And my first game, I, we was on kickoff, man, and we run out, and I'm like, I look up, and our stands were packed, and I was like, holy crap! I said, man, I'm under the lights. This is my first game, and I'm right out the gate. <laughs> so I go and I get my, I get my first tackle. So it's like four games on down the road, and the guy runs up, they they pass the ball, and the guy's going around the corner, and I crack him, and he fumbles, and when I stand up, my teammate comes around the corner and hits me right square in my chest. And um, my leg popped. Yeah. And I and and I stand. And I was like, I was like, man, I'm good. I'm Jared Rose. You can't hurt me. <laughs> and, and I and I jump up, and I'm and all of a sudden my leg pops out of place. Mm. Oh. And I fall back down on the ground, and they take me over there to the bench, and they're like, "You're." I was like, "I'm good." I said, "I'm going back in the game." And when I take my leg off the side of that table, she hinges and pops out, and I can't move it. She's just hanging there. Mm. And I and I squeal like a baby. They ended up putting three screws in it, two artificial tendons, a hamstring, and a cadaver tendon. Oh, my gosh, man. Wow. How, I mean, luckily, you know, you did it, you know, 18 years, 17, 18 years old, you know, where your body has a lot of resiliency, you know, resilient. Yeah. You know, re- resilience. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Help me out with the word. But yeah. uh, how is that holding up, man? Because that's a that is a constru- like catastrophic knee injury yeah. for real. I mean, don't you- oh, man, I feel it. I feel it big time as far as 
standing up at them shows all weekend. You know, she'll get tight on me. And the crazy thing is, mm-hmm. my buddy Cole Huff, he did the same thing with his knee, but riding a bull. Wow. Well, I believe it, riding a bull. <laughs> yeah. You don't, you know. Well, that one. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just so going to say, <laughs> we're, we're catching the delay. I was just going to say that, you know, in football, you hear the ACL, you know, MCL, something like that. You don't, it's very rare you hear that all, you know, whole blown out knee, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, the funny thing was, man, so, like, I was still out partying, you know, and I, I would go around telling them, like, I'm downtown in bars on crutches with a full <laughs> knee break on. And um, they're like, well, how'd you mess your leg up? I'm like, riding the bull. <laughs> yeah. And they were like. <laughs> Couldn't say high school football. <laughs> That's right. I ain't going to tell them I was in football. I was, I was riding the bull. Yeah. And then, I met Cole, and then I met Cole. I was like, dude, how'd you tear your leg up? He was like, riding the bull. I was like, man, now I can't use that line no more. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny, man. That's so awesome. Uh, just, I got to bring this up real quick because, you know, you were talking about the fake idea earlier. This is a funny story that I've never told on the podcast, but. Oh, tell it. Just so, we're the reality. Just, we, we are the reality of hunting and the reality of personal lives to an extent. Yeah. So <laughs> when I was uh, 19, me and my buddy, there's this country music festival down in Fort Lauderdale. It's called um, uh, Tortuga. And uh, we're like, man, we want to go down there, but you got to be 21 to order drinks and all this. And we're like, shoot. So we got on some website, long story short, and ordered these IDs. And uh, somehow Customs got it, sent it to uh, Florida Highway Patrol's desk. They show up at my parents' house. And they're like, yeah, uh, is Tristan here? And I wasn't. They call me. And they, uh, they're like, yeah, we need to talk to you. sister answered the door. Yeah. She's like, yeah, the cops are looking for you. And I'm like, oh, my God. And I'm... I'm not like growing up. I wasn't a knucklehead like that. Like, nah. I mean, uh, y'all straight, I, straight laced. I, I'm not kidding. I didn't drink a beer until um, we went to Dominican when I was a senior in high school. That was the first time I drank a beer. Yeah. And um, you know, obviously, when you're 18 over there, it's no big deal. But um, so I just super straight laced with stuff like that. And uh, so I, me and my buddy, get this fake ID, and I'm 19. And uh, the guy, Florida and Illinois are the two states where it's a felony to have a fake ID. Yeah. He goes, uh, son, you know, you just committed a third degree. Felony. And you had your best friend in town. Yeah, one of my best friends is in town. We're actually going to play golf, and uh, <laughs> I get this call. But uh, yeah, so long story short, you know, six months of waiting and then you know it's community service and all this other stuff it gets taken off oh he's hearing everything from you know of course his buddies are like bro you're burning down yeah yeah you're like you're going to the prison you're going to leavenworth dude i was so scared i mean i mean and honestly as a parent i was very concerned when i heard it was a felony because i was like Man, any judge, they did it to a bunch of FSU kids. Yeah, I mean, they want any to make judge an example that wants out of to make an example, bro, you're just you're in the hands of the judge, you know, and and you know, Tristan wasn't the type of young man that I had to be like use like mind over matter to like freak him out. So I didn't like my daughter, if that happened to her, I'd be like they're going to burn you down forever. <laughs> and I have to drive the stake, dude, to get her to realize. Yeah. Tristan, I just, I can't do that. I didn't even have to do that. You know, he was just already worried about it as as it was, you know, but. Well, yeah, they tell you, you know, hey, it's a, I think one to five years in prison or whatever for a third degree felony. And I'm like freaking out at 19. Well, I think one thing it's important to, to talk about, and I don't know if you were going to say this, Tristan, if I, if you were, I apologize for cutting you off, but mm-hmm. you know, Tristan 
connected with God. That was, yeah, that was the deeply that was that, the biggest time, yeah, th- through that through that scenario. So you know, while it was what it was, mm-hmm. um, there was a purpose behind it. Well, you know, it's funny because a lot of people outside looking in just hear like a fake ID. Like everybody has a fake ID in high school and college. But like to me, I'd never done anything wrong. And probably ninety percent of the population would be just like, eh, whatever, I'll get through it. Blah blah blah. Yeah, to me, it was like severe. You know, found, foundation shaking. Like I might be going to jail, so I better you know get right. Yeah. <laughs> so, but anyway, um, that that's a good one. Like I, like us, we were like. We run from the cops like I was running from them one night, and I, I didn't know this cat had. A, I didn't know we, this we cat had an eight foot. Contact with Cade. Yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know this cat had an eight foot fence in his backyard. <laughs> so I'm running full speed, and I'm waiting for the cop to hit me with the light, right? Uh-huh. And I look up, and I mean, it just fold up into this fence, and I'm laid out in the back. Do you want coffee that doesn't suck? Get the duck. Dirty Duck Coffee is made specifically for the waterfowl enthusiast. Enjoy flavors like Morning Wood, Dark Dynasty, Cinnamon Teal Snickerdoodle, and First Flight to unlock the flavor that you'll enjoy in the blind for years to come. Our friends at Dirty Duck Coffee Company are now offering all Zero Duck 30 followers a 15% discount when you use code ZeroDuck15 on your next order. (laughs) I'm laid out in the backyard and I'm like, if they catch me, they can just have me at this point. (laughs) This wouldn't have been a, a few days before the football game, was it? <laughs> so the first idea I ever had taken right, we was I was at high school prom. We, we had a, we know parents that got us a beach cottage. We're we're seventeen years old. And we're at the beach on our own. You know, you can't tell us nothing. And um, we we've already we've already had our fun on the beach, you know, and we were all tore up. And we get to this we get to this place to eat dinner. And I watch them take four IDs at the table. I'm like, uh-huh. I said, I bet you they ain't going to take mine. <laughs> and, and I hand the guy my ID, and he brings me back a beer. And I take a sip of it. And I said, this thing ain't got no alcohol in it. And this man brings me back a non-alcoholic beer. Oh. And, and keeps my fake ID. I said, man, how you going to tell me my thing's fake? He was like, I don't know. You want me to call the cops? I said, look, you got me. I'm I'm good. Can y'all hear me? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, no. And then so the next one, the 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 second one I got taken, I was in Maryland. I went to get in this bar and I handed it to him, my ID fell apart in his hand. I done washed it like five times in the washing machine. And I said, I said, look, man, I done washed this thing like five times. I was like, it's real. He's like, man, I'll let you in. I just got to let my manager look at it. Hands it to his manager. His manager's looking at it. I said, look, dude, it's real. I was like, if you don't think it's real, just give it back and I'll leave. He's like, well, what if it's fake? Da, da, da. I called the cop. I said, look, man, I'm already drunk. I said, I'm going back to the hotel. You can keep the ID. I'll buy another one for $50. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> And uh, I get walking down the road, and two weeks later, they send my ID back in the mail. No kidding. That yeah. is hilarious. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That is hilarious. Well, I got stories like that I, all night. I'll tell you what, man. While we're on the, the fake ID train, and if y'all listen to this, you know you got a story related to this. So it's 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 definitely relatable. So me and my buddy Mike um, – and his dad go to this deer and turkey classic in Illinois. 
and uh, and my buddy oh, Dave. Funny. Yeah, <laughs> we go up there, and and uh, none of these guys besides me and Bill. He's an old timer. Um, had been to one of these, and it's a big deal in Illinois when you go to the, the Deer and Turkey Classic, you know, and uh, right there in the heart of mid, the Midwest, and. It's packed, you know. We go in there, and you know, you're just exhausted by noon because you're just running and uh, basically asking everybody, "Do you got a bag? You do? Okay, great." And then you're just stuffing them. And Bill says, well, "Let's go, you know, get some lunch." I said, "All right." And he goes, "Where do you want to go?" And he goes, "Well, there's this tavern over here, or whatever, and they serve, you know, bar food." And I said, "All right." Well, we go over there, and Michael, his boy, at the time was 19. And we go in there and sit down at the booth and waitress comes up. She says, what can I get you boys a drink? And, and Dave says, I'll take a Mick Ultra. And I said, well, I'll take a, I think I said a Bud Light at the time. And, and Bill said, I'll take a Bud Light. And looked at Michael and Michael said, I'll take a Bud Light. And uh, his dad looked at him and she said, well, can I see your ID? She said, he said, yes, ma'am. And he, Reached back in his wallet, gives her the ID right in front of his father. And uh, she goes, okay, we're all good. Thank you, Chris. (laughs) His name's Mike. His dad goes, Chris? He goes, Chris? He goes, you couldn't do better than Chris. He goes, come on. He goes, goes, I didn't know you had a fake ID. And he goes, well, I wasn't going to tell you I had a fake ID. He goes, well, I thought we was like tight. And he goes, not that tight. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you the first place I got in with an ID, I was um, I was at Myrtle Beach playing a softball tournament. I was like 16. I, didn't, I was still playing high school baseball, and they asked me to come play a men's softball tournament. <laughs> and they're like, Jared, you want to go to the strip club? I was like, no, no, I don't. I said, you know what? I want to go. So he's like, the, the boy has two of the same IDs. So he hands me one ID. And so he goes in first, and somehow we end up with this guy on the street drinking hot beers. <laughs> we finally get there. We finally get there, and I, we get in, and I'm amazed. You know, <laughs> I'm kicked back. I'm perplexed. And the boys are like, Jerry, we're going to buy you a back room. I said, don't do it. Please don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> and so, they buy me this, so they buy me this back room, right? And this this woman... Is like 50 years old and Dutch. <laughs> We're not going to talk about what all went down in the back room. When we got out of there, I swear we had to break some wire brushes out. It won't good. I said, we got to go, boys. You got to get me home. Get me out. Get, get, get me home. <laughs> hey, you know what? It just occurred to me. You know, y'all, this uh, younger generation, all had to use fake IDs. You know what we use? What? Mustaches, <laughs> bro. I, I got. I was born with a mustache. You look at my baby pictures. But I'll tell you what. I was walking into a bar at seventeen all day long. Dime draft on Tuesday nights at the local little town bar. All you had to do is have a mustache, and you were in. You nobody asked. For, you didn't even try a fake ID. You just you had to have a mustache. That's whole. That's right. The bad thing about it was all the other people that had them, they were under the table. Like, they didn't ever say nothing. But me, I was the life of the party. You know, I'm getting on the mic, I'm getting on the mic singing karaoke. I'm going to hang out until we shut it down. So we come out of this bar one night downtown, and I looked to my left, and there's like 15 cops standing there. 
And I'm by myself. I want to go to Waffle House. My friends have done left me. My phone's on 5%. So I walk down there, and I give them all fist bumps, talking about back to blue, back to blue, back to blue. (laughs) (laughs) I bail out of there, and I'm strutting myself walking down the street. I said, I just got away with that. (laughs) And I get to go down the road, and I'm walking down the road with my thumb out, trying to hitch a ride. And, um... I finally, somebody stops and picks me up, and I would get, the Waffle House I was going to was closed, and the other Waffle House we're going to, I'm no, I'm not racist at all, but I'm the only white person in there, uh-huh. and I can't see straight, and I'm looking around me, and everybody's giving me the eyeball. The guy that gave me a ride was black, and um, we get going back down the road, and this guy starts looking at me weird, and I'm like, Lord, I said, if, if, if he's gay, please don't send him my way. <laughs> I'm going to get his gaze. And this guy comes out and tells me he's gay. And I just, these girls, I just dropped them a pin to where they picked me up because it was two, 4 o'clock in the morning just about at this point. I said, look, dude, just drop me off right here in this four-way intersection. Appreciate your ride. I bought your Waffle House, and I'll be right here. So I'm sitting on the curb at a certain, I don't even remember what time it was now, and I'm eating the Waffle House bowl sitting in a four-way intersection. <laughs> just chilling. <laughs> this is your guy when you're driving by at 3 o'clock in the morning. You're like, what is this, that dude doing? <laughs> that was him. And I was just sitting there chilling, eating my Waffle House bowl, and I fall asleep on the sidewalk. <laughs> <laughs> I wake up I wake up to the girls I dropped the pen to, and they're like, Come on, get in the car. Let's go. <laughs> oh my gosh! Dude. Oh man, that's a good stuff. And I got stories like that all the time. Oh but man, y'all want to on the topic? <laughs> that's so funny. Man, you know what's so mind blowing for me? And I've been thinking about this for 15, 20 minutes as we've been um, going through this podcast. And you know, yeah, we cut up and talk about some funny stories and all this stuff, you know, but. Man, I want to applaud you for your maturity. You, I think most people that are listening to this podcast until right now would think that you're talking to a 30 to 40 year old man based on this young man's wisdom. Mm -hmm. And I don't know who got you, who raised you. Uh, You know, sometimes, you know, as a parent, you know, you try to do your best and, 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 you know, anybody that says, oh, their kid's that way because of their parents, you know, they're a troublemaker because of their parents. Well, I want to punch you in the face, all right? Because sometimes kids are just going to do what they want to do. But, man, you've had a great influence in your life. I can tell by just talking to you this, this long. And you are at such a great level of wisdom and maturity as a young man. I applaud you for that. I appreciate it. Well, they just, they gave me free range, you know. They just, they, they messed up. I, I had to work it out of them. The first time they let me go out of town, I had to, I was going to NC State. You know, all the boys is up there in college. I'm going to NC State. <laughs> I get up there. I get up there, and I absolutely go crazy. <laughs> I wake up. I wake up on a hammock beside a pool. <laughs> I wake up on a hammock beside a pool, and that struck a match to me going crazy. So, I was, either, I was everywhere partying, you know. I'd have parties at the house, 200, two to 300 people from Friday night to Sunday morning. Oh, my God. <laughs> we had this big old – I had my, my shop now. I don't know if y'all see my call shop. 
on any of my videos. But that shot back in the day, I cut my sister's front porch off with a jigsaw and cut the arms off of it and put it in there for a dance table. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's hilarious. Tell me, you're from, had, the, tell had, me if you're from the South without telling me you're from the South. <laughs> right. <laughs> I had a pool table, but they broke my pool table. Dude, that would have fit right <laughs> into the, the old classic... Uh, uh, Jeff Foxworthy, you're a redneck if. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. But they, they, I had like, there was like 15 girls on my pool table one night and they broke my pool table. Oh, no. And um, so I said, I got to have something for the next weekend. So I went and stole a porch. We put disco balls in there and we're having a good time. And I was like, where did Chase and all the boys go? And I go outside and I look in my, I look in my pool in my yard and it's like something you see off a movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say what all was happening around the pool, but we had a strip club in our yard. <laughs> <laughs> I, I said, man, I said, this ain't, and I got, I the reason I quit partying in the house, I just got tired of picking up the trash and everything. And once I tore my leg up, that slowed it down a lot too. <laughs> and then, then they took, then we lost chase and I reckon all that planned out. And then I, re I also, I hung out with, 30-year-olds, 35-year-olds, 40-year-olds my whole life, so I reckon that helped, too. Yeah. Well, shoot, man. That's, that's yeah, that stuff's hilarious. I'm glad we got into some of that, because I don't, we've never kind of taken that angle on this podcast. I mean, we've we've been on, I mean, you'll be our 46th episode or 47th, and we've been doing it for almost a year now, and uh, it's, it's fun to talk about some stuff different like that, you know? <laughs> it sure is. It sure is, man. It, it ain't, like I said, I'm the same person on camera as if you are on the camera as if I'm off the camera. I am who I am. That's great, man. Love that. Well, what's, uh, let's get into just, you know, a recap of your duck season. After all, we are zero duck 30 and, uh, as much as we like to, you know, cover everything, we always got to bring it back to ducks somehow. So that's right. So let's talk about y'all's duck season, man. What, where'd you guys start? Where'd you finish? How'd it go? All that stuff. All right. So starting out, I flooded. I got a. I got corn. I flooded cornfield in my backyard. Uh -huh. I had six hundred birds. I mean, absolutely pounding it early season. Oh, that's man. a lot of birds right there in the backyard. Yeah. And I and I I just I got greedy and I pumped it full of water and I had a muskrat hole. And it blew it blew my dam out, and I lost all my water in my backyard in the night. Oh no! And um, I got it rebuilt and back up in full in a day and a half, and um, I lost three fourths of my birds Man. in one day. Oh my! I lost three fourths of them birds. Wow! So, so that was that was slow. And see, I don't really duck hunt a whole bunch through mm. deer season because I'm running dogs. You know, I go shoot a wood duck hole up early in the morning or something like that. But I'm running, I feed dogs all year round, so it ain't fair to them unless I hunt them. Right. But our last week of our last week of the deer season, man, we couldn't. I mean, I ain't seen so many ducks around here in a while, and I was I was deer hunting. I should have been duck hunting, but I mean, I'd come across one of our bridges, and there'd be thousands, top of thousands out there rafted up. Wow. And uh. We finally, after deer season, we, 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 we got into it hard. You know, we went to Oklahoma. We shot them good in Oklahoma. We come home. We, I got my scissor rig right on the boat. Y'all know what a scissor rig is? No. Uh, well, uh, I, I'm, tell me if I'm wrong, but I, we made a, uh, a blind one time that was like kind of like a, out of PVC and it kind of opened up like a scissor. Is that what it is or no? <laughs> okay. No, this, this one. 
this this rig floats on the outside of the boat in the water. Okay. So you throw your anchor off the front of the boat, you back up, you kick your boards off the side, and this floats in the water, and you put your pine bushes in it. So basically what you got is you got a duck blind wherever you want it. Nice. So it hinges it hinges in the back. Yeah. So you can pull the boat in and out to go pick your birds up. Okay, that's great. Yeah. So you pull your boat back in and tie it up. So we've got our scissor rig right the last week of the season, and we went to working on them. I mean, we went to working on the diver good. And um, the last morning of duck season, we shot an 11-man limit of bluebills. Wow. And uh, that's how we ended our season. I mean, we shot them. I, we, we didn't. I didn't duck on as much this year as I usually do. I've been so dang on busy. Mm-hmm. But whenever, I don't usually like waking up unless I'm going to go shoot some limits. Right. You know, and I like I like going out there and fellowshipping with the unless I'm going out on the boat. Now I I love being on the water. If we go out in the water and we kill one or two ducks, I had a ball. Mm-hmm. But as far as me going and walking through a swamp, which I love doing that too, but I usually I mean I I don't like not shooting my gun. Right. Yeah. No. Yeah. But we had we had a we had an amazing season. So basically, we got we hunt we hunt big water. We hunt flooded timber. We hunt swamps and we hunt um flooded corn nice man so we just built a flooded timber track this year it's gonna be our first year hunting it we could have we had it built in time to fill it up last year but i didn't want to do that because them dikes were brand new i didn't want to blow them out mm-hmm. and uh so we got that flooded timber track built it's probably about five acres so that's gonna be something new here um and where i'm from see because hyde county i don't know you ever heard of hyde county north carolina lake madam mesquite no no so that's the duck capital of North Carolina. Okay. All the birds that go down south, nine, probably about 75% of them come through Hyde County because that place has got 2,400 duck impoundments on it. Wow. Holy cow. And um, so all them birds that come got to go to Hyde County, they got to come right across to us. Mm-hmm. So these boys have been shooting pintails and mallards in the swamp all around us this year. And... Um, so we were like, I said, I got to do something to up our game. Because every swamp around here, there's somebody in it every morning. You know yeah. what I'm saying? They just don't catch, they don't catch a break. Right. So basically, if we're going to jump up on our wood ducks and our and some of our ducks, we got to get on them in November. So, like, we got to get on them early and we got to get on them. Right. So, well, whichever, whenever that early season is, October or whatever. Mm-hmm. And we got to get on them early right there, and we got to shoot them up good or else they're gone. Like, they say wood ducks don't migrate. That's, this is a crazy story here. We uh, we killed a banded bird. We killed a banded bird in their backyard this year from um, Massachusetts, banded wood duck. Oh, yeah. No, I, so, I, 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 was, at, I was at this, this. This is the craziest part about it. I was at a show in Pennsylvania, and these people walk up to me, you know, we're talking to them or whatever. Uh, we got somehow we got on the banded bird topic, mm-hmm. and I said they said well, we killed a banded wood duck this year from North Carolina. I said really what part? You'll never guess where this wood duck was from. Where is that? <laughs> this wood duck was was banded in my hometown, and they killed it in Maryland. Wow, that now that's pretty crazy to hear that they killed it north of you. Yeah, but I guess that's right. I guess a lot of times when depends they're banded, when they were banded, depends, yeah, when it was banded, yeah. yeah. If it was after banded in June. What? Uh, that's wow. even way crazier. Dude. That's like reverse. And you know and I, 2018. In 2018, wow. So that's that that's, just shows you that the woman will get you in trouble. Wow, yeah. man. That's yeah, I 
I've heard people say stuff like that about wood ducks, but it's there's no doubt, man. I mean, we've seen some hunts. I mean, our partners at HuntWise are offering an exclusive discount for Zero Duck Thirty followers. As an elite member, some of the features you'll immediately gain access to are HuntCast, WindCast, peak kill times, property lines, owner information, and phone lookup. 250 map layers, unlimited offline maps, 3D maps, social media, and on top of it all, save up to 50% off some of the top hunting brands in the industry. Download and explore the number one hunting tool set today and save 20% by using code DUCK30. We got on a hunt in Arkansas one time. The first time we went That's to Arkansas. That's when we really realized how much, how many wood ducks migrate. Yeah, and we went to Arkansas for the first time and... Uh, you know, we spent, you know, you always hear you go to Arkansas, don't expect to go out there on public land and kill birds your first morning, second morning, whatever. So we planned three or four days to scout of the week. Yeah. And finally, the third day, we, the best thing we found was a ton of freaking wood ducks. And, um, I guess that the game warden had told us we, we shot our limits of wood ducks basically two, two mornings in a row. And it was like, you know, by seven thirty you're done type thing. And then. We wait around all morning trying to shoot some mallards, you know, and never did, of course. But, uh, but um, we talked to a game warden. He said it was a um, like a ten year like high on um, acorn drops on the white oaks on the white oaks, and uh, just the wood ducks numbers were insane. And I mean, that's I remember the game warden saying, "I don't know how they know." Yeah. So, but he said it happens, and you guys are catching that. I mean, literally, that, that we, really were, we, were, we were almost getting hit in the face. Yeah, and that really showed us, like, the migratory, like, wood duck thing. Yeah, you know? I had no you idea. See numbers like that. I mean, you see, you know, groups of 30, 40 wood ducks flying at a time well, I mean, you know, all when, morning. When we're from Florida, and here the license plate comes out as a wood duck. Yeah, we thought that was pretty interesting. We're like, we're like... Yeah, I mean, there's definitely wood ducks that don't leave, and there's definitely wood ducks that migrate. Yeah. What's crazy to me is, I'm sorry, these boys just reeled up a big Arkansas right here on the dock. No, uh, no I was just watching. They they just got him up here and got him in the net. Oh, nice. Um, they got um. Thing about a wood duck is when he when they when they finish off a food source, they don't hang around. Mm-hmm. So like. During deer season, like we, so we had a real dry summer, and uh, so all of our swamp bottoms got to grow a lot of smart weed in them. Mm-hmm. And smart weed is like candy to them. So they got eating on this smart weed, and they literally it was knee high. And when they got done with it, it wasn't nothing but water in there. Wow. I mean, it's like somebody took a bush hog across and mowed it all down. Mm. Wow. And um. So when they when they ever finish their food source off, they don't hang around at all. They're going. I don't know where they go, but they go. <laughs> I've always thought that is crazy. I don't I don't know how it is for y'all, but like, uh, you know, when we first started duck hunting, funny enough, we're from Illinois originally, but when we first started duck hunting, it was in Florida, funny enough. And um, there's actually a decent duck hunting scene in Florida, and um, which a lot of people are surprised to hear that, but um, you just unless you're down somewhere like the STAs in Southeast Florida or one of these like main hubs of waterfowl, it's not like you're just seeing them fly over like you are in the state of Arkansas or some of these other States. I don't know how North Carolina is, but like you, you, all of a sudden you're in Florida, you're like, Oh, there's a few thousand ducks sitting there. And you're like, I haven't seen a duck fly over me outside of a wood duck in months. 
Yeah. You're like, how did they get there? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. You're like, that's impossible. Yeah. <laughs> they just showed up. Well, I was talking to some people from the Pacific Flyway at their last show. Uh-huh. And, you know, they could shoot seven birds a piece over there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, he said, he was out of Oregon. He said, it doesn't matter how cold it is or how hot it is. The ducks show up where he's where he lives at the same week, no every year. Yeah. Within the same couple of weeks every year, no matter what the weather is. And he was showing me videos, man. He'd just be standing up on the side of the bank, and there'd be a, a group of four hundred pintails and widgeon just cupping right up in the decoys. Wow. Well, you, you'll find this interesting. We um we had talked to uh, Dr. Bradley Cohen is his name on um and he's with uh, Tennessee like technical. Um, college, college and, and, but it's he runs Cohen Wildlife Research Lab. Yeah, they they got a good following on social media and stuff, and they put out a lot of great research on you know banded mallards and you know GPS mallards and stuff. And um, they that's basically through their research, mm-hmm. most of what they concluded is like the cold fronts. To give you the gist of it, they don't do as much as like what we think they do. Right, like you know you you expect these big cold fronts like because they have all the, they have like two or three hundred mallards tracked at a time on gps and these cold mm-hmm. fronts if you know i hope i'm not saying this wrong but they don't you know like they found that really good cold front you, you said y'all were in oklahoma for it they found with their birds in tennessee the ones that were getting shot it they weren't birds that they had banded you know the year before coming from the north migratory getting shot what was happening is where these birds were sitting in these, you know, timber holes that were shallow and stuff. They got pushed onto big water to stay warm, and it was just basically like a suicide mission for them because every hunter and everywhere was on big water because everything else was frozen up. And it, it's yeah. instead of being such a big migratory thing, is which there was an aspect of that, but it was more so birds getting forced out of where they're comfortable at. I well, think. and to piggyback on what you're talking about, Tristan, mm-hmm. one of the key things he mentioned was mm-hmm. that what they found were these ducks that come down is basically in two pushes. Mm-hmm. You get your early season push, and then you get another push, regardless of the weather. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're sitting here listening to this, and you're like, weather makes a difference. Mm-hmm. Yes, bro, it does make a difference. All right, but... You can't pass up scientific data and what it shows. And the biggest pushes, there's always a unique situation, but the biggest pushes of what they see consistently in that flyway Mm -hmm. is two main pushes they see, you know, and uh, it's different in every flyway. You know, just like you talk about in the Pacific flyway and the Atlantic flyway, what we see is once they get down to Florida, they're there. They don't reverse push. They don't do anything like that. They yeah. stay down there until they're ready to go back and to where they want to breed at. And that's one thing I want to touch on real quick, Jared, is just what's kind of interesting about, interesting about Florida is we hunted Florida two years ago on the biggest cold front that there had been. Like Miami was the coldest it had been since like 2008. Yeah. It was like 32 degrees in Miami. So we're like, oh, well, in Central Florida, this should be freaking banging. I think we shot like three ducks. Everything was stale. Nothing would decoy. And that's when it really got us thinking, like, these birds just come here when they're going to come here, and it's not so much of, at least in a southern state, you know? Well, and I've talked to one of the biologists down in in central Florida, and there's a certain WMA that it does good on that initial push. And then it stinks. It's terrible. And he goes... 
it's not like we're sitting here watching birds continue to fly in, you know, from the uh, the groves of them. Just you know, this 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 uh, push necessarily. You know, with the cold weather and everything else, it is like they get down there, they get shot at, and the number goes down per hunter real quick. Yeah. You know, so it's interesting when you dive into all the different flyways and how the birds act different and what they do and what they eat is a crazy thing. I mean, from sure. we're used to Atlantic flyway ringnecks eating anything from hydrilla to aquatics to whatever. And we shot them over a rice field this year in Arkansas that were fattest freaking ringneck you'll ever see in your life. Mm-hmm. You know, so. It's definitely a, a, a cool subject that we'll have to spend some more time on. For sure, man. The craziest the craziest thing is, you know, so them poor birds, they catch a beating before they get to y'all. Mm-hmm. But um, we, we realized we got a refuge right here, by, right here from the house in Hyde County. And you can ride through that refuge. And so you, your first ducks that come down are, of course, your blue wings. But your first big duck that comes down is your pintail. Mm-hmm. So... You can ride through that refuge and look, and if it's full of pintails, you know you haven't got a push. You got that that first push of birds, then pintails coming in. You know, if you mm. just got pintails hanging around, you know what I'm saying. That then you don't, you ain't had another push of big uh, big ducks. Mm-hmm. So, but these birds, I mean, they're so smart, man. So they've been shot up. I like, I mean, it's scary how many birds get killed in High County a year, but um. It's crazy because 10 minutes before shooting light, they get up out of the flooded corn, they go to the refuge or the lake, the lake, you can't hunt the lake either. And then 10 minutes after shooting light, you can't, you mean, you could be standing there talking like we are right now and they not even pay you no mind. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. And then you ride through that, you can ride through the refuge. I mean, there'd be bull sprigs, bull pintails sitting five yards from the truck, just swimming around feeding, you know, it's just, it's crazy that they know where their safe havens are. Yeah, and how that how how a hen duck can go back to the same nesting ground from the bottom of the country back to the top and get just about in the same area where she was hatched out of that just amazes me. It's incredible. Man. It is, and and some of the weird things that these ducks do, and I've watched these things on TikToks and reels and stuff like that. Is you know, and this is a great example, Tristan. We're in, um. We're in downtown, not downtown Jacksonville, but definitely a a populated area going to breakfast one morning and we're walking through like this little town center type of thing. And all this tall grass is on the side of this building. We look down, there's a hen mallard sitting there laying eggs. Now call it a city park duck, whatever you want to call it. But we see these things. If you go to Cohen Wildlife, they just posted a thing about a wild mallard that you know what he was doing to survive this 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 winter he was spending all of his time going over to a major railroads uh um what do you it call it a, depot or something it was a rail yard where like a container of uh corn had spilled or something well, yeah but it's like you know like when you see them when there's like 20 30 railroads all next to each other because they're shifting all those cars and all that stuff. It was a major area like that. And this mallard was hammering it. Yeah. I mean, hammering it. And he's a wild mallard. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just crazy what some of these ducks will do to survive. Yeah, it, it is crazy. I mean, 
just to watch them, you know, as far as behind the house, we don't hunt it much. I just, I like watching them and see how many birds come in and where they come from and just watching ducks pull ducks, you know. So, like, there'll be flocks just flying over the swamp back of the house and they'll see a flock bank in and they'll turn and they'll bank in with them. And it's crazy because these birds, I'll watch them going there right at dark, you know. I'll watch them going there right at dark. But when you go in there to hunt them in the morning, they're up and they're out of there. Mm -hmm. So, they pick up in the middle of the night and go back into the swamp to roost. Mm -hmm. So they come and get their bellies full right at dark and then pick up at pitch black night and go back into the, into the swamp and roost in the swamp. Mm -hmm. And then they come, they turn around and come back in there first thing in the morning. Yeah. Do you guys ever see any mottled or whistling ducks up that way? All right. So every once in a while somebody would kill a couple so my buddy he killed two but i'm there's just a handful of them killed around here not many okay i was just curious because i know that they're creeping i mean especially yeah. the model duck and, and good that most of the time it's a, a one duck limit but um that duck is starting to expand a, a lot but the the I, I would not be surprised honestly if florida ups the limit i mean i don't know if they can go over the six limit without getting into federal regulations but um the there's no doubt that if you're from the south the the black belly pop, population is just exploding oh man it's turned it's, into the local can louisiana goose. i'll tell you it's it's turned into the local canadian goose of like for sure florida but i know louisiana's got a good you know bunch of them and stuff and and they're great for youth because they fly in this v slow they're slow flyers you, you hear know, them whistling from hear them whistling. 10 years away they're a cool <laughs> duck they feed at night they roost during the day i mean it's just they're just a weird duck to hunt you know i was just curious if they got up towards you guys though let me just explain to you how cool ducks are so mm -hmm. high county that used to be, that used to be the goose capital of the world wow so what? back back in the day um that lake that lake they had drained that lake and planted it so mm -hmm. the lake ain't like three foot deep mm -hmm. four foot deep five foot deep so they had the lake drained and planted yeah um and they would pay that they didn't they didn't get paid by the bushel they got paid by the acre so the locals would loosen their headers up and just stroll through the wheat or beans or whatever on the lake when mm -hmm. it was dry and when the Great Depression, I mean, like, they absolutely murdered the geese there. Now you won't hardly see a goose there. Wow. So now when the Great Depression come, the, they didn't have enough money to afford to keep the lake drained. Mm -hmm. So the lake filled back up with water. Yeah. So that photographic memory of those birds from that long ago are still coming back to that lake every year. Mm. Just that just amazes me. Well, you know what, and that's funny you brought that up because Mr. Glenn mm -hmm. out in Arkansas, you know he uh, he owns the the lodge that uh, Delta Thunder um, has or whatever there, and we're we're tight with this um our but really good buddy of ours that um owns a outfitting business out there in Arkansas, and yeah. Mr. Glenn basically leases the lodge to him that's you yep. so yeah just he lives next door and, he, and and honestly if you're going to hunt adult thunder outfitters mr glenn is part of the experience mm -hmm. and you have to enjoy that because it's 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 definitely worth it the mm -hmm. time but he would tell us stories about how it was all woods i mean we're talking arkansas puts out a million acres of of rice so that's a lot of flat ground right 
it has transformed, he said, over the four, last 45 years in an incredible way. It used to be woods. He said you wouldn't even see a goose. Not one snow not a snow goose, not a speck, nothing. Well, Cade's, Cade's dad said he's been guiding since, uh, he guided for 41 years, right? And yeah. he said the same thing about geese, right? Yeah, yeah. And here's what Mr. Glenn told me. He goes, see these ditches and stuff? These ditches and this Cash River and Big Ditch and all these things, you know, they have always been here. And they just fly it no matter what. There are certain, like when we look at the map, like if you go to DU and say, where are the flyways? And you see these red, orange, blue, whatever, you know, for each flyway. It's crazy to me how specific flyways are in those certain square miles that you hunt in Arkansas. Yeah. I mean, and it's got to be the same everywhere else. You just like when we've been up in Florida and saw green wings up at that one lake with all the gators and coots and mm-hmm. whatever it is. Um, I, I think that we missed the mark a little bit on, on, on um, um, migration. Well, maybe just people don't think about it this deep, but when you're talking about say a salmon and there's all of these tributaries and, and stuff that they go all the way back to where they were born. Yeah. The same holds true about ducks. Well, it's kind of like we're just talking about And we've heard the GPS data to support that and everything. And it's pretty, I don't know, man. They blow my mind. (laughs) They just blow my mind. I reckon reckon there's more of a food source for them out west. You know what I'm saying? But see, the crazy thing is I killed a banded bluebill one year from Saskatchewan, Canada. Yeah. And, um... But a lot of our, we don't have uh, the food source. The reason the birds go to High County because there's 2,400 impoundments there flooded with corn. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Right. They have the they have the food there. But, see, it's crazy to me that you drive out to the uh, Midwest and the birds are landing in fields. And we're, we were shooting canvas backs and cattle ponds. And, um... It's just crazy that those birds are landing fields there, and they don't even look at a field here. It's just—it's kind of weird how that works. Yeah, know? they're so, so different. They're so different, man. I mean, just the type of we—the biggest thing we see a huge difference in is like you want to talk about like, a, I guess you could point at like either a blue wing or a mallard. Like, so first of all, a mallard won't even migrate to Florida. So if you're shooting a mallard in Florida, it's parked up. It's not gonna happen. Um, you know, and then. So that's crazy to think about. And then, you know, we shoot blue wings in the marsh. Like, you know, you're out there with alligators and what, you know, you might shoot it. You might shoot them in the mangroves where there's, you know, there might be a bull shark in the water or something crazy like that. <laughs> yeah. And then you go you shoot them in Arkansas on a reservoir or rice field. Yeah. It's just, it's insane. It right. is. I mean, just like that year that, you know, our, our Teal Heaven video, there's no doubt there was not enough water to, to, to float. Mm-hmm. not even enough it was a couple of inches and yeah. the only thing you saw there were all these little holes like all over the place from crustaceans going up and down larvae whatever they are you know crawdads crayfish you name it and these blue wing were just smashing that dude and I have done a lot of research that shows that um, the pu- puddle ducks in general their main food source during a migration, they have to pound that protein. They have to have yeah. that. 
you know, and and I think it blows everybody's mind when they I saw a beautiful picture of a, of a hen mallard, mallard right? yeah. holding a, a small bullfrog in its mouth, and I think yeah. for most of the us puddle duck hunters, we're like, uh, I feel violated right now. <laughs> you know, I mean, I thought they only ate acorns and rice and smart weed and everything else. No, ducks smash a lot of a lot of protein. Yep. They're, they're, they're definitely an amazing creature that can do that. So, I know it's going to be off topic. I'm going to tell you all one more turkey hunting story. No, you're good, man. So, this, this is the most memorable one. It's the last turkey me and Chase killed together. And I think, I believe that we were after the woman's pet turkey. Now, I ain't going to lie to you. So, we pull up back in this field, and this turkey's all out there. And there's one turkey, I swear, it looks like it's 50 pounds. Uh-huh. You know, I'm like, I'm like, holy crap, it's got to be the woman's pet. But he's hanging out there with the wild turkeys. But you couldn't kill them from that field because it was a field back in the woods, and it was one way in, one way out, and turkeys would see you, they'd bust up out of the field. Mm-hmm. So we swing around from the back of them, and we're sitting down, and I call, and they cut me off. I said, all right, well, that's it right there. So I'm sitting here, and I hear something coming from beside me. And it's close, and I can't see what it is, and I can see a long ways. And all of a sudden, I feel something coming across my lap, and it's a dang snake. Oh, hell no, dude. And, it, and it's coming across my lap, and I'm just sitting there stiff. And I'm like, I'm like, Chase, do not get up. Do well, not. You had to. And he, he he jumps up, and I, and the snake takes off off my lap and goes over and goes off in the woods. And we get, and about that time, you know, I had I thought I heard a bird gobbling behind me. And I call, and the bird gobbles, like, starts gobbling hard right behind us. And um, I'm like, he's on the other side of the road right there. So by that time, I hear rocks creaking coming up the road, one of the hunting club paths. So I take off running as hard as I can to the path. I mean, as hard as I can. <laughs> and I jump out in the road, and I stop this truck. And we're creeping down the road. And I look, and the turkey's literally, we're standing up in the road, and the turkey's 40 yards on the other side of the ditch from us, full strut. And I'm like, Chase, do you see him? He's like, yeah, I see him. Boom, he kills this turkey. <laughs> and this ditch look and this ditch looks dry. Mm-hmm. So I bail across there to go get this bird and when I hit the bottom of this ditch I sink up to my neck in mud. Oh dude. So I'm wallowing trying to get out the bottom of this ditch. When I get over there and get this bird and I come back and I was like and the, the guys were coming in there planting their deer food plots and they were like he said, Dude, I didn't know what the heck was coming out the woods beside the truck. I said, Well, <laughs> here you get this. That was just, that's just a crazy, that was a, one of our craziest turkey hunt stories, and we got all kinds of crazy ones, but that was one I wanted to say. Sorry to interrupt. No, nah, that, that's great, man. I, I'm glad he brought that up, and, uh, you know, I always think about that with turkey hunting in the spring, like a snake crawling across to you, you know I mean? <laughs> I've I've thought, I mean, we've seen eastern diamondbacks in Georgia and stuff, and... Oh, I was on my hands and knees face-to-face with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, I, that, that scared me big time yeah <laughs> you, you talk about rattlesnakes bud we're slammed full of them <laughs> really now do, do y'all oh, dude we rattlesnakes everywhere well do y'all um y'all probably see probably the same stuff eastern and pygmies i'd guess or what do y'all no we're just easterns yeah well see they don't want to say this is true and but they released them huh so they have we have a lot of pine so basically 
if our if it's not a farmer, a pine tree company owns it, so a timber company. Uh huh. So these big timber companies said these rabbits were eating their sapling pines up. Mm. So they bring all these rattlesnakes in and turn them loose. Mm. And um, oh, it ain't nothing for us to go. I mean, like we'll see them in a warm day in December. They'll be crawling all down the paths and everything. Wow. We we don't kill them because you're not supposed to. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But they're everywhere. Now, in, well, do you see rabbits? That's why I want to know. Oh yeah, dude. We we got we're eat up with rabbits. Oh okay. Well, there the is, balance must be all right. Of, there's quite a few people that do take care of them, though. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, you just be walking through the woods, and, I mean, they'll be right. I mean, they'll just be crawling all over the place. I mean, but, see, another thing is we got cottonmouths real bad. Yeah. So, we'll, we see, what well, we do the street debris removal, so we go in and we cut the trees out of these swamps so the water can flood. Mm-hmm. So, springtime is the worst time for snakes. Mm-hmm. So these, they're still cold, and they want to get that sunlight. So you'll be in there cutting with a chainsaw, and these cottonmouths are laid up eyeball high up in these trees. Yeah. Down to these swamps trying to get sunlight. And, man, you know, you, you can't kill them all. But, I mean, some, you just got to push them out of the way with a stick and keep cutting. But they'll be crawling between your legs and everything. Dude, that's nuts. It's, it is crazy thing. I mean, you see a lot of water moccasins in Florida and stuff. You kind of become numb to them, but, you know, it's it's crazy. And, you know, it's funny you say that about spring because it's really like North Georgia spring just hit, like, honestly, this week. It really felt like, I mean, you're seeing bugs, you're seeing pollen, and we got this park about, you know, 10 minutes from the house that um, me and my wife always like to go walk at. It's, it was a farm up until 1999. And then I guess the state just made it a, you know, a park or maybe the family, that's what they wanted to do or whatever. And it's hundreds of acres. And um, man, you just in the last week, she's seen probably five or six snakes and didn't see a snake for months before that. You know, it's just, it's crazy. The spring hits and they're out. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah no. So we, we went to a tree the other night. The coon dogs went there and tree. And we got in there to this tree, and I said, "Look at that little snake right there, little green snake." He was oh, all—he cool. was hanging up. He was hanging all upside down in the briars. He was cold, buddy. <laughs> I picked him up. I picked him up, and he could barely move. That's funny, but speaking man. on speaking on protein and stuff, cold nights like that. I mean, it's good for you know the ducks. Like a warm spell like this, and then it gets cold. That sometimes that is crucial for their migration back north because all of them bugs come out and stuff. And then when it gets cold, they lay dormant on the banks and in the marshes and everything like that. And it allows them ducks to get that protein like you were talking about earlier. That's a good point. Yeah, that's, that's a, a real point. good point. Um, you know, I can't help but think of this. You know, y'all talk about snakes. Is you know what's so cool about today's age is that y'all we. I mean, you're a, a a phone button away from capturing something all the time, you know. And back when I was a kid, I remember I was walking behind this old church that was in a, uh, a, a there's a bunch of woods back behind it. And I was walking back there during the spring, and uh, I came to a, a spot where there was a lot of like boulders and all that stuff. And I saw a snake ball of garter snakes. That would freak most people out for years. I mean, dude, it was like, if I had to guess, half of my body. Wow. Like that. Like, like you take like three foot and probably three foot in diameter. 
And I don't know how many there were. Hundreds. Wow. Hundreds of snakes. And I'm sitting there watching that geo one night, and they're like, yeah, some of the biggest snake balls in the world you'll ever see is uh, the garter snake. And I was like, bro, I saw that, and I have nothing to show to prove it. <laughs> but today you just pull out your phone and take a video of it you know what i mean that's yeah. right yeah we were talking about that earlier you had stepped out for a second but me and jerry were talking about like you know when y'all were younger like the stuff we, when we started zero duck third we were like worst case scenario we're gonna film this cool stuff to work back you know look back on years mm-hmm. from now and uh just the stuff the hunting stories i hear from you like that's a perfect example you know the stuff that you couldn't get on camera back yeah then. <laughs> no there's there's so many there's so many which you know it really leaves a lot of y'all going that's bull crap you know that, that's not true yeah. you know but you know what i think all of us hunters will agree that if you're out in the in the woods the swamps the marshes wherever you're at in the outdoors you do it enough Y'all gonna have some stories. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I think everybody would attest to that. Absolutely. Look, this is this is an Oklahoma story here. This one's funny. We were duck hunting beside this pond one morning, and me and the boys we fell to arguing, talking crap. And one of the boys was back there in the back. He was smoking him a cigarette. All you could see was a cigarette glowing back there in the background. This is when we first started going to Oklahoma. And he turned around and said something to the boy. I ain't gonna say what they all were saying. And he come up to him on top of this dam. Now, this dam's like 12, 15 foot tall, straight down. And we're laying up on the bank of it. And he said, he turned around and looked at him and said, what are you going to do? And, I mean, he clear out, drop kicks him from the top of this dam. <laughs> right, right square into the pond. Three barrel rolls and, and my best friend, I mean, he's floating on his back in the pond. <laughs> and he... <laughs> They come out and they fall to fighting with each other right there on the bank. And me and Chase were laying there. I said, Chase, do we break them up? And we were laughing to death. And we said, no, let them fight it out. And, that was, that was, and it was like 12 degrees that morning. That was, that was a cool <laughs> That's just like some buddies right there. Well, and, and you know what? Where's Devin and Drew? Yeah. Where's right. Devin and Drew? Here we go. Yeah. All right. So I got one for you. So we have, uh, we're hunting, actually, and y'all can look it up, but there's a place in Georgia. Uh, where the world record bass was caught. It's a WMA. Um, but good friends of, of mine had an olive farm, boarded it. And uh, we got talking about deer hunting and everything. He said, you know, y'all come up here and, and uh, bring camper up here on our property. You can't hunt our land, but, you know, you're right there less than a mile from that place, and they got shower houses and everything else. And we are like, man, what a deal, you know? So we go up there, and we just had, had a – I mean, they were incredible people and just let us like just hang out and have a good time. Well, we invite all the buddies up and we go up there hunting and uh, we get up there and, and Tr- Tristan's got a good friend of his that he grew up with named Devin out in Illinois. Well, he's come from Illinois or was he actually still in the military? Uh, he was in the military in South Carolina. Yeah. Yeah. So he had to come from South Carolina. Drew's our buddy from Florida. We go up there and they get talk- talking about who's who's tough you know and all this stuff and drew's like oh i was a wrestler and champion and all this stuff and drew's you know and, and uh and drew at the time drew's like you know i mean he at the time he's probably late 20s and i mean he no was, he was 30 he wasn't in bad shape you know but he's no. not like break shit house my buddy Devin, you know is 22 just freaking in the military jacked to shit just came back from afghanistan working out for six months straight <laughs> And <laughs> so we're yeah. bragging about we're we're on our way up there. We're yeah. bragging to Drew about 
I was like, yeah, he's like, dad, dad, dude, Devin's like real serious with the stuff. He's like ripped out and everything. He goes, I could take him. And I go, oh, yeah? I said, you think you could take him? I, as soon as I heard that, I was like, oh, I got to set this shit up. I have to set it up, man. So I started getting in each one of those guys' ears. As soon as they got there, man, I was just like, you know, Drew said that uh, you ain't nothing but a P- POS, you know? And he'd be like, I'd go up to Devin and be like, or I'd go up to Drew and be like, uh, Devin said that you're a pussy and he could take you <laughs> wrestling any day, even though he hasn't ever wrestled. And so I used to get them stirred up. Of course, a couple beers in, shirts come off. Yeah. <laughs> shirts come off right there in front of the fire. And we watched these guys, you know, just barrel it out for egos. It was incredible. It was so funny. That's, yeah, literally same kind of story as what you got. <laughs> but, but they got done. It was like a, it was it was it was a touche. Yeah, they decided to quit. <laughs> yeah, they both they both guys too like, tired. Yeah, but we're too tired. You won some, I won so, some. It was a good little, little battle. Funny story on that. This is also Oklahoma. We got this. This is the first year we stayed in the Airbnb there. Nicest people you ever meet in the world. But they're so, they're big a jujitsu family. However you say it, right? Yeah. <laughs> so. There's their their neighbor like hey this family they live back off the road they got two houses back there and their son just got back from military or whatever or something like that and he was walking to the yard and I was getting something out of the back of the truck I'm like hey man I said how are you he's like well, what are y'all doing I said oh we're in the Airbnb he's like I'm gonna come over there and check you out in a little while well by this time we had already amped up jujitsu because we were already <laughs> in a jujitsu place right so these people got a whole gym in the back of our Airbnb with a floor mats and everything. So this guy from the military comes over there, and our, one of our boys on the team, he's he's a pretty strong cat, which I, I took him one night, but I'm a little more agile than him. So we were back there, and we laid a match out and everything. And um, next thing I know, this dude's doing cartwheels and crap in his back room. <laughs> but this, he's doing like kung fu panda moves back here on these mats in the back room and we all look at jeremiah on the team we said jeremiah you're screwed bud and, and they they lock up with each other and i mean they literally wrestle it out for like 10 minutes and then they both they call it a tie but it was just, we got a video of it man i mean he's up there doing like cartwheels on his hands upside down it's actually one of our oklahoma videos <laughs> that is incredible that's great man well, but, Good stories, man. Good stuff. Well, man, we we could sit here and take your time all night, Jared, but, you know, we want to be respectful of your time and everything, man. It is 9 o'clock, and uh, we appreciate you taking the time to come on the podcast. And, uh, man, where can you tell everybody where people can find your, you know, your social, your YouTube, all that good stuff? So, on YouTube, we're Next Southern Generation Outdoors. Our, um See, we got three accounts that are banned on TikTok. So we had a, we got like three different names. The one that we use now, we got, we got Jared Droz one, which is my my personal. We got the Wicked Killer page, and then we got the Next Southern Generation Outdoors page. Right on. And then no, we don't have Wicked Killer on TikTok. We just have Next Southern Generation Outdoors and um, uh, my personal Instagram. We have. My Jared Droz is my personal, and then Wicked Killer Calls is our other one. Okay. Well, right on, man. Well, we appreciate it. And also, I know you're doing a lot of shows and stuff. Um, what are some of the, just off the top of your head, I know you're going to one tomorrow, um, and this will be, you know, released probably in a few days, so it'll be after that. But what are some of the upcoming, you know, shows that people come see you at? 
So our next show we got to go to, which is going to be our favorite right here at home, Dixie Deer Classic. We get to meet a lot of our, our followers and stuff. Um, our next show after that's the Palmetto Classic. We have East Coast Waterfowl Show. Um, we have the Waterfowl Festival in Maryland, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, um, Richmond, Virginia, uh, South Carolina, Seaweed Show. We got all kinds of shows coming up. So if y'all oh, just great. keep up with us on social, if y'all just keep up with us on social media, you'll, we'll usually give y'all about a week in advance and where you can catch us at at our next show. And dude, we love meeting all of our followers. We I mean we love talking to everybody, having stories like this with each other, and that's why we do it. It's not about when we go into shows, we don't go in it to try to make money. We go in to try to break even and just be able to meet people like this, you know. Heck just yeah. being able to talk. It's, not, it's about who you meet. Yeah, it is. That's it is. Part, it's, it's over and over again do we have that conversation with people on this podcast. Yeah. It is about the relationships and the people you meet. And I love that. As a 50-year-old guy, I feel like, you know what? That's what success is measured by. Yeah. It really is. It really is. Well, it's such a cutthroat industry, you know, nobody really wants to help anybody in the outdoor industry. It's just, it's just not, it's just how it is, you know, but at the end of the day, we're all in for the same goal on chasing the same dreams. And in the end of the day, we need to work together to try to help each other be successful in what we do. That's right. You know, and it's hard to explain that to a lot of people, you know, especially they they get intimidated even though we're young, but they get intimidated because we're young and we're putting out really good product and they're mm-hmm. scared that we're going to come after them. So they don't want to give us any tips. So basically, we're you pay for your education when you start out with a business. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So basically, you pay a few extra dollars here and there to be able to get some some kind of inventory or something like that. So they don't want to tell you how they get around those cracks and crannies. So if any kind of business, you pay for your education starting out. But you know what's That's great true. about that is it, it 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 what's the right word I'm looking for? It forces um, development. Right. It forces development yeah. in a better, different way. And that's the one thing that before we cut out of here that I will attest to from being 50 and my son being 20, 27 now, right? Six. Six. Doggone it. <laughs> um, he's 26. And I have to always be on the lookout for the, the, the more efficient technical side uh, way of doing things and keep my mind open to that because yeah, there is some old school ways of doing whatever you do. I don't care if you do carpentry, duck hunting, it doesn't matter. There is those base things, but if you keep a closed mind to what, how things can develop and get better, I love some of the people we've had on that are, are being bold and sticking their neck out and their family and their personal money and everything else on the line to try to re-engineer some of the things that us duck hunters have followed for years. Mm-hmm. And uh, I yep. think that's a great thing, and you hit the nail on the head. And another thing is about that is the youth, man, a lot of these old-timey hunters, you know, they, they got one way they like to do it. Yeah. So if it's not their way, it's the wrong way. Right. And if you know, like anything, the playing field in any kind of hunting is wide open. Yeah. And for these kids, you know, they go on social media and TikTok and stuff like this, and they see all these different types of ways that they can do things, you know. Mm-hmm. And then somebody tells them it's the wrong way. The way I look at it, you know, we go into a hunt. I'll tell a kid, I'll be like, look, <clears throat> you put a game plan together on how you think we can kill these birds. 
and we'll set up on your game plan. If it don't work, me being the more experienced hunter should be me being the more experienced hunter. I should be able to put a game plan together for you to kill the bird later on. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So just allowing those kids to be able to be more vocal in a hunt, rather than just you being controlling over them. I've realized they take to it better that way, and they want to do it more. Well, yeah, that's a phenomenal it like, point. Man. It is, it is. It's like you know, they got some skin in the game; they get to be a part of it. Yeah, I mean, who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? I mean, I don't care what age you are. I mean, if you've got something to offer, and it it goes to you know, I've I've ran several businesses over my life, and one thing that I've always done is clean a toilet. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm not I'm not above cleaning a toilet in the office. And what that does is it always puts my brain in the right perspective of when an employee would come to me and say, hey, this is what I think a better way to do it. Even though I've been in whatever industry for years, you got to keep an open mind, man. There's always a better way to do things. And some of these younger folks are so doggone passionate about it and so intelligent that we have to embrace that and get them involved um, as being part of it. Yeah, well, the hunting industry doesn't, it's like the world. The world's changing, so why wouldn't the hunting industry change? Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. And, it, you know, it's one of those things, unfortunately, like the population keeps getting bigger of the world, and the population of hunters, uh, you know, unfortunately is not what it was 10, 20 years ago. It's like, at least with waterfowl hunting, you know, and I, I would imagine it probably is similar to some of the other types of hunting, you know. These numbers keep going down, and it's like, Stuff like you're doing, Jared, I mean, is extremely important to, oh. you know, what, you know, the future of any of our sports looks like, you know? Yeah. For sure, man. Well, that's what we, Thank you well, for that's what we based you our name mm. Yep, man. I really appreciate that. So, ba- we based our name out of, see, we started, I was in a turkey hunt magazine when I was little, and they called me the next generation, you know? Mm. So... And everybody, man, they gave me a hard time at school for it. Even the next generation, I say, you know, I blew it out of proportion. And um, so we started doing it, and I got to thinking, you know, if we, if I don't train the next generation, the ones that don't have the opportunity, who is? Right. You know, who's going to be able to carry it on after me? Who's going to be able to carry it on after me? You know, because if you think about it, we're here for just a short period of time on this earth. Somebody's got to carry it on. Like Chase died at 20 years old. That could be me anytime or anybody. I'm going to try to touch and grab as many lives as I can to get them closer to the Lord and get them in the outdoors and try to do the best I can, you know. That's right, man. Yeah, man. Thank you. Keep doing what you're doing, man. And uh, I am excited. You're going to get a repeat guest invite. (laughs) <laughs> um, love talking with you. Love sharing the stories and uh, and keep it up, man. We'll be there definitely pulling for you guys. Yeah, man. I really appreciate. it. Maybe we can line a hunt up here in the future. Not maybe. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great, man. Yeah, come on. I, I don't play in maybes. I'm a veteran. <laughs> yeah, as Yoda well, maybe said. Maybe you should just go ahead. And, maybe you just go ahead and get in the truck and come on then. That's right. That's like <laughs> as Yoda says, "Do or do not." There is no try. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Jared, and uh, I'll. Yeah, just... man. Good talking to y'all. Absolutely, brother. And... I've been southbound, I've been hellbound, riding on the midnight train. Going too fast now, think I'll slow down, standing in the pouring rain.